Do you ever feel that you are faking being happily married? Do you keep it to yourself, but the word divorce secretly arises in your mind frequently? Do you wish that this very day you could go home with a sense of delight instead of concealed dread? Well, if so, you're not alone, because millions of Americans feel that way. But there again, others don't. So what's the difference? I'm Dr. Alan Campbell, and this is Watching America. On my left, watching America. On my left, it's panic in America. Oh, 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 it's trouble in America. From WHRV Norfolk, this is Watching America. This is a show about love. It's about romantic love and the disappointments that sometimes come with it. It's also about marriage and the severity of disillusionment experienced by many who feel isolated and sad about their marriage not being what they hoped it would be. But it is also a show that is filled with hope and practical help. And interestingly, it is a show that was inspired by a song. Simon sings, I Believe in Love, after describing a series of vignettes of domesticated modernity. And then she goes on and sings, Don't mind if I fall apart, there's more room in a broken heart. And then, as a close, she says, It's coming around again, coming around again, I believe in love. My guest is Dr. Christine Bacon colleague, friend, and someone I admire greatly, and also an author, lecturer, and we'll tell you more about that as we continue. But the purpose of this show, Christine, if I may call you Christine officially. Please call me that, yes. Is I'm a believer in marriage, and it really grieves me when I see people who are going through, to say the least, bumpy times, and sometimes uh, situations with much greater severity, and their marriages are falling apart. And a part of me says that doesn't have to happen. No. And I want to begin by asking this, are the expectations of people who fall in love too high? What I love about this song by Carly Simon is she talks about these, you know, baby sneezes, and she talks about, you know, mummy pleases, daddy breezes in, so good on paper, so romantic, but also so bewildering. I know nothing stays the same, but if you're willing to play the game, it's coming around again. So don't mind if I fall apart, there's more room in a broken heart. And then the next uh, uh, verses go, you pay the grocer, fix the toaster, kiss the host goodbye. Then you break a window, burn a souffle, scream a lullaby. The, the lyrics are very uh, descriptive of the, as I said before, the modernity and the, dis, the, the dis domesticated things that we have to deal with, which don't really glow with romance and we, we mislead people because they walk down the aisle they want to get connected and they think it's going to be these romantic situations 
perpetually, and it isn't. Right now, as you and I are about to speak, I say about to speak because I haven't let you speak yet. <laughs> it's okay, I'm I good can, with I it. I can hear my producers, would you let her speak? Um, but as you and I are speaking right now, there are people with broken hearts. I mean, mm. literally with breaking hearts. Uh, and some of them now will rearrange their time to listen to the remainder of this program because they think it's so germane and pertinent to what they're going yeah. through. The last time you were with us, you were very revealing about mistakes and, and all kinds of circumstances in your uh, marriage, not just yeah. one, but multiple things. Oh, yeah. And by the way, I'd encourage any listener to go back and listen to the first time you were with us. It, you were so um, candid and, and open. It astonished people. But I just want to talk to you in relation right now to the persons who are listening who think it's hopeless. If anyone had a hopeless marriage at one me. point, it was you. It was us. I don't know if you want to revisit that quickly. Well, we but, can. Okay. I mean, if that's what you – because well, I yes, understand people yeah, haven't heard the last the show. Just have a, a reality check of yeah. what where you were at well, versus just the, where you are now. The short and skinny is, you know, I was that hopeless romantic, and I got married – or let's say I got pregnant at 18 after knowing my boyfriend for only two and a half weeks – then we got married, thought we could make it work, and then infidelity happened. I'm the one that found somebody else, left my husband for that other person, thinking this must be the right, this must be love, right? Because those feelings come back. Broke that ugly relationship off after a couple of years, had more time to myself. My husband asked me to come back, which, again, I credit the, our blessed marriage with that act of humility of my husband saying, please, I'll, I'd will i like to marry you, despite the fact that I was the one that had shamed him, I should mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. So we got back together. Marriage was still not good. I don't ever, my husband's like, I hate when you do radio shows or the book. I don't want to read the book because I'm afraid. He thinks I badmouth him. And I'm like, well, no, actually I make myself look worse. But in saying that, I do want to say he wasn't perfect either, nor was I. But, you know, you're young when you get married. You're even if you're not young, if you're 40 and you get married, you're still young to marriage. You don't understand. So anyway, we we reconciled, but we still didn't understand what it took to make a solid marriage, apart from the fact that this we made this commitment. We're going to do this, dang it. It's going to happen. And we got back together, and it was miserable. I used to pray for my husband to die because I didn't believe in divorce. And I thought, you know, God, if you're divorced— People don't pity you. You have to deal with step families. If you really just make him die. I was on my knees at my bed crying after a fight several times saying, please make him die. It was that painful. And, you know, he didn't hit me. He wasn't an alcoholic. He wasn't into porn. So people are thinking, well, what could be so bad? Well, that's the point. That that what could be so bad, Ellen, is exactly what I think most marriages today are suffering from, is that we don't even know what to expect. It's bland. He would say mean and hurtful things. I would say mean and hurtful things back. <sighs> Anyway, so just should I give him the end of the story so we can proceed yeah, on? Yeah, no, no you, okay. you're in control. Because we're talking yeah. about love and romance yeah. here. So I went and got my doctorate, and my PhD was humor, my dissertation, humor as a communication strategy in military marriage, which was so much fun doing these surveys. And everything on my survey had to do with humor and marriage, except for one question, which simply asked, uh, rate your marriage. And it was a seven-point scale from extremely unhappy very unhappy, unhappy, to the flip side, which was happy, very happy, extremely happy, perfect. And I had nine people check off perfect. 35% of people check off extremely happy, which stopped me in my tracks because I would have guessed maybe 2% of people would say extremely happy, maybe 1%. And I thought maybe, you know, 30, 40, 50% of married couples would say happy, right? Mm. But that one out of three were saying they weren't just happy or very happy. They were extremely happy. To me, it baffled my mind because I'd been in this 20-year marriage trying to figure things out. So I went out and I started interviewing those what I called super couples to find out, was it accidental? Did these guys just happen to get lucky and marry what today's society calls a soulmate? And, it, and it's effortless. Or was there a formula? And while I expected to find they just got lucky, I prayed there would be a formula. And there was a formula. And I was so happy, which our last show, our, our your listeners can go listen to it 
I wrote the book called The Super Couple, A Formula for Extreme Happiness in Marriage, which actually dictates uh, the formula, S-A-C-R-E-D, of what it takes to have an extremely happy marriage. Now, I want to interject here, and I said it during the last show, and I'm saying it again because it bears repeating. Because of the title of your book, uh, The Super Couple, and I don't mean this in, in any backhanded, insulted way at all, it does lead some people to perhaps think, oh, this is so glib, like a real estate, uh, you know, uh, venture on the weekends that you go yeah. to or something. It, it, or it, this overly idealistic kind overly of thing, Overly idealistic. Right? I mean, it's an appropriate title because they are super couples from what you've observed. And when you say there's a formula, that's another thing that gets a knee-jerk reaction of, oh, come on, don't give me that rubbish. I don't want to hear there's right? a flipping formula. They don't because they don't want to act out what the formula well, is. Well, but they're not aware of it. And you did an expert job, as one would expect of an expert uh, of of relaying and conveying exactly what that formula is and how one gets yeah. there. Um, can you give us the if you the, will, shortened the shortened sure. version of it, please? Uh, the formula is because sacred. we're going to talk about other things. You see, right. I want, I want to progress with yeah. Well, let's talk about love and romance mm-hmm. and sustaining it and rekindling it. Yeah, yeah, that's and what, what real love yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. So the sacred formula. What I noticed in all of these super couples, and I got the title super couple from. Uh, it is actually a cousin of mine whose husband had predeceased her, and they were both 40, and he died after 20 years of marriage. And she said, yeah, people used to call us a super couple. So that's where I got it from. So super are just those people who seem to have a little extra, the ones that we idolize, like, wow, you guys got it going on, right? Right. So as I interviewed 100% of the men, listeners, not 99%, hear me out here, 100% of the men answered these questions that I would ask, and I asked every couple the same questions. Obviously, it's research. And 100% of the women answered the questions the same way. The details were a little bit different for each of their marriages, but it broke down to what I was seeing was sacred, S-A-C-R-E-D. And the if we stop the formula, Alan, we could stop at the S and have a fantastic marriage. And the S stands for selflessness. If we look at marriages in America and the world today, they are pathetically missing that element. We are a selfish society. We are a selfish nation here and around the world, quite possibly. We are selfish married couples. I fail when I try to be selfless towards Danny. But if you go to the back end of the formula, S-A-C-R-E-D, the D stands for deliberate. So I am deliberately, I was rushing this morning. My granddaughter slept over. I just needed to get to school. By the way, I was a little bit late. But I knew my husband had said to me, it means a lot to him when I make him a cup of coffee because I'm a morning bird. He's a night owl and getting him out of bed is a bear. And so I brought him a cup of coffee and he said, I just really appreciate this. You bring that smell into the room. Mm. It wakes me up and it means a lot. So when we talk about selflessness, we're not talking about grandiose examples of uh, heroic marriage here. We're talking about when you were dating, when you were first married, when you were first in love, you couldn't think to do anything but do things for that person because you were trying to win them. And so we win them by being selfless. And as soon as we check the box and we have that mate, we go back to being selfish. Well, you know what? I can't visit you for lunch. I can't make you a cup of coffee. I'm running late today, so on and so forth. So when I saw this selflessness, it convicted me. Alan, it convicted me because I I just remember being in those living rooms, interviewing those couples, feeling ashamed because I don't remember this. The interviews were eight, nine years ago, thinking something I, I had done just that morning that was selfish, that had put my needs before theirs. Now, these super couples didn't say to me, well, you should be selfless. I just listened to their conversations. And whenever I asked about a good thing, a strength in their marriage, every single super couple pointed to their spouse. Let me interject here. You were selfish. I'm not judging you in that. We've all been selfish. Why were you selfish? Why are we selfish? I think I was born more selfish than my siblings. Looking back, I have six grandchildren, and I can tell you which one's the most selfish of all. I always wanted that big piece of cake. I always wanted I wanted to be popular. I wanted to be noticed. So my reasons for being selfish maybe were different than other people's reasons, but we are inherently flesh and spirit and our flesh wants us. And so I think I'm a nice person. I think people like me. I know people like me. I, But it was like, oh, yeah, let's go here. I want to go there. Or talking. You know, selfish in the ways that we don't think about. The other. 
Yeah, selfish is sometimes so insidious. It's so underhanded, right? So I didn't notice when I was like, oh my gosh, let's go out to eat or I'm going to go to Chinese. And my husband wanted Italian, but I didn't even think to ask him. But I was so quick to say, I'm going to go get Chinese. So little tiny bits of selfishness kind of add up. Okay, so is it fair to put it under the general category of of inconsiderate? Or is it different? Um, I would say they have similarities and differences, right? I thought I was considerate. But selfishness, I think, goes deeper. Okay, so inconsiderate with the final conclusion in your consideration, I'm best and what I want works. Yes. But the selfishness, let, let me just go back to that example I was giving. When I asked super husbands, super wives, why was their marriage great? Tell me why you're super. Every single one of them would point to some trait in their spouse. So it wasn't like they were sharing the big piece of cake. My husband would do that. I would do that. But it was, why aren't you listening to me? Why didn't you ever talk to me? How come You never want to have sex anymore. You never do this. You never do that. And who's, all we looked, uh, who's saying that? I'm confused. It doesn't matter, okay. right? Okay. In, in, if yeah. you utter one of those, you never do. Right. It means I'm inherently focusing on my own needs. But okay, I'm going to speak for those who now may be saying, yeah, but I have a right to be selfish. I mean, I'm giving, 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 and now I've become selfish and I formerly wasn't. Thank you mm -hmm. very much, experts on the radio, uh, experts on the podcast, but, you know, very good in, in ginger. But the fact is we want to move on. I want to move on with my life. Uh, I'm tired of giving. I'm hurting. I've yeah. been giving, giving, giving to I can give and no there's more. no... We've heard that phrase. I want to take. Yeah. yeah what do you say to them? Wow. We, how many hours do we have on the air here? Because I... Well, we can work on it. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So there's this big picture theoretical example, but then you'd have to break it down to examples. For instance, I'm working with a couple right now where the husband is that man. He said, I wanted to make my wife happy. So in essence, I became passive. I just let her do what she want. If she spoke to me unkindly, I just let her. If she wanted to do something, I let her. And I never had my needs met. And in the process, he said, I emasculated myself. I allowed her just to take charge of the marriage instead of being an equal part. And so in his case, now he's left his wife and he's filed for divorce. And we've since talked. And I said, don't file for divorce, but don't go back into the house. And he's like, huh? I said, no, you shouldn't go back into the house yet because if you do, she'll think that everything's okay. And it's not okay. But I will tell you where you failed some of the places. You failed because you didn't tell her 20 years ago. No, don't speak to me that way. Uh, no, I am not a dirtbag when you call me that. Okay. It's been said that we teach people how to treat us. We do. You do believe that? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so in the process of retraining, like uh, like I, I I hate to you know diminish anybody male or female to the to the level of a, of an animal or a dog, but if you have a disobedient dog, you have to train the dog and say no, you, you can't do. can't do that. Uh, to what extent do couples have to train each other? Marriage is training each other from the very first day. So I had that affair in 1986 or whatever, and we got back together in 1991. And the guilt that followed me was also coupled with my husband's, mm-hmm, where were you today? You know, things like that. And so I allowed him to say that to me for years, and it would bother me, it would eat at me. And if you hear that comment, though, there is selfishness in that comment. Now, people listening might think, well, you did cheat on him years ago. He is entitled to say that. Really? Because he took me back. And so those comments like, mm-hmm, where were you today, are this underhanded way of saying, I'm good, you're bad, I know your sin, I'm going to keep my eye on you. As a, it's, a, it's a nice way to push off on the other person without having to self-reflect. But let me come to rally to his defense, and I can do that because we're friends. You can, okay. sure. Okay. From his perspective, I'm sure he would say, yeah, okay, but you know, I had the severe wound, not to say that you didn't, because mm -hmm. you shared with us that you did, but he would say, I've had the severe wound, and I'm afraid that that wound is going to recur, and all I'm trying to do is preclude that from reoccurring by right. asking you. Can't I'm giving preclude it. You can't preclude it. If I was going to cheat again, I was going to cheat again. Whether you give me those nasty remarks or not, what I do, I do. Risk. Marriage is risk. Right? Commitment is risk. So he can treat me like crap and think that I may or may not have an affair again. Or he can treat me kindly and hope that I don't have another affair. Which one's going to work better in the marriage? 
at what point do you expect him to resolve it and, and steady out, if you will, and, and be at peace? Well, so here's where it comes back to what your question was on we we allow people to treat us a certain way. Right. I allowed him to say that because my own guilt, my own, people who have affairs, and I'm repeating what I said last time. If your Boy, probably spouse bears is repeating. Che- yeah, if your spouse has <laughs> cheated on you and you're driving in your car and you're listening right now and you think, that's right, damn it, he's the one that hurt me. She hurt me. She's the bad guy. I was hurt. I need to remind you that your cheating spouse also is hurt because every spouse goes into a marriage thinking we are the right two for each other. We're going to get this going. I'm a good person. When I cheated and every man and woman I work with that has cheated, we have our pain too. We have guilt. We have shame. We have a loss of self-respect. We know that the people around us are judging us. We feel filthy. Further, we doubt ourselves. Well, gosh, if I married Dan and I had an affair, how the heck can I trust myself again? I thought I was in love with him. Maybe I really wasn't. Do I even know what love is for crying out loud? Should I even bother getting married again? Who knows? Right? Right. So yeah. self-doubt. Well, let me go back to uh, another concept. We are told at various times by various persons to different audiences that love is a decision. Is love a decision? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and do we keep making that decision over and over again? Again and to, again. To keep loving? Daily. Okay. Daily. So, How now- about your kids, Alan? Have your kids ever failed you? Oh, yeah. Do you keep loving them? Absolutely. What's the difference between them and your wife? I wouldn't say they've failed me. I'd say they've disappointed okay. me at times. And your wife, yeah. I would guess, has disappointed you in, yes, in the past. Yes, and I have her. So, yeah. Absolutely. So why did you keep the kids and why did you keep your wife? Look at, we because switched the, bit, the because, microphones, right? No, no, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I, I, I keep on loving Christine because I can't live without her. I don't yes, mean you that can. in a weakened way. I guess if I had to, I would, but I don't want to. Why not? Because she has what I call a flicker inside her, which is her spirit. Okay. And so I what you that. saw when you first married her. Yes. And sometimes we forget that flicker, yes. right? Yeah. And that flicker is inside her and it's very real. Mm-hmm. I also believe, and others wouldn't have to subscribe to this, but I'm also accountable to God yeah. for how I treat her. So when I got married, I always think a marriage, you know, if, if one is um, theologically based and inclined that way as I am. No matter what religion yeah, you are, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, I I think of my marriage to my wife as a triad. Uh, It's me and my wife and God. God. And sometimes I don't speak directly to her about something that upsets me. I find it from my experience. And people can laugh at me. That's all right. I don't mind. Um, I've often had to resort to, or not resort to, it sounds like it's a last thing, but I have chosen to communicate with what I consider God to help me to understand Christine. And because my relationship- Okay. That's right. selflessness. Because you could say, you know what? She's driving me nuts. She's the one at fault right now. Selflessness is even when Christine is incorrect. And there have been times where she's been incorrect and you bit your tongue. Yeah, but me too. And probably me more Absolutely. often. Absolutely. Yeah. Selflessness goes both ways. Yes. So times, selflessness is shutting the heck up when you want to argue that you're right. Even if you know you're right. That's where selflessness comes in. Let's talk about forgiveness. I mean, because the the ability to make the decision to love again. Can I I hold that? Can I finish that one last concept of we treat people? I just want to say one last thing on how we tell people how to treat us. There came a point after about 20 years of marriage where my husband had said to me one too many times, you know, that implication like, "Mm -hmm, where were you? And I had to heal myself. And I had to finally say, enough. And I looked at him and I remember the day, I remember where we were standing. And I said, enough. That was 20 years ago. I'm not that person. And the more you throw it in my face makes me not want to love you. And it makes me want to leave you. I am not that woman. I am not that mistake. I am many good things too. And if you ever accuse me of cheating on you again when I've given you 20 good years since, Yeah, I will leave. Yes. And it, it, it took, and he kind of woke up. And I think we all have to have one of those, I will no longer allow you to treat me that way because it's hurting me. I can't become the wife that you want me to become if I'm always pulling back from fear of how you might treat me. And his throwing those comments at me were selfish, but they were also 
self-preservation. He was trying to protect himself from that hurt that you implied. So anyway, that's, I wanted to make sure our listeners know it is, we are so uh, unique. There's so many fibers to Dr. Ellen Campbell and, you know, Christine Campbell and Christine Bacon and Danny Bacon and everyone who's listening. And so we spend our lives trying to figure it out. But let's jump to the end of the show before we even get there. When one of you dies one day and the other is all wrinkled up and sitting right there next to him or her mm-hmm. and you're shedding tears of pain because you don't want that person to leave. Yes. And you're praying to your God right. that it didn't have to end yet. Yes. When you look back at what you had that made that love so strong, I would argue that most of us, you, me, would say, I would do it all over again. This pain here is so bad of losing him or her that all those years that preceded it, good, bad, and ugly, made it still worth it. So I think that fighting through the garbage is the, the deepest part of the love we're talking about. But let's talk about your super couples, the the, the exemplary persons who were selfless. For those who are listening right now, who may be in the throes of bitterness, anger, uh, torment, uh, shame, or every bundle of bad things that you can put into a bucket, they're feeling that right now. In fact, they're impatient listening to us. They're saying to themselves, for God's sake, give me the answer. What's the answer with this situation I'm in right now? I need to know it, okay? With those persons, um, clearly... The other persons, it sounds like, did not really have the, the the magnitude of negative reactions with each other. So it's easy for them to be in that position where there are people listening say, but I, you don't know how bad it's been in this circumstance hmm. and how to crawl out of it. Now, you do, Christine do. Bacon, Dr. Christine Bacon, because you've described it to us. You talk, said to Danny, don't you ever bring that up again. I've given you 20 good years of, of faithfulness. You're hurting me. You won't let me go beyond it. You're condemning me over and over and over again. Yeah. Okay. Um how, why are you still married now, Christine Bacon? Well, something society doesn't want to hear. I'll give you the good stuff first, love. There is love. But the second what part is... What is your love for Danny? What is that? My love is watching him age. His mother's dying, and I just went to Florida with him for three weeks, and I watched him wipe her butt. Because I wasn't able to on a particular day. Mm -hmm. And I watched him kneel at her bed in tears, crying and Mm -hmm. praying, and he wouldn't go to bed. I watch how he, we have an alcoholic neighbor, and he goes and helps the alcoholic neighbor's wife do things around the house because he knows that if the man who's struggling with alcoholism did it. He would electrical work, things like that. He was, he was doing bad things. So my love is watching the character of my man, my husband. I watch when he fails. I watch when I have the flu or vomit and he'll clean it up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I watch when our grandson does something bad and he'll discipline him and even when he fails at disciplining him and does it in an overly negative way he'll apologize so love has changed so it's admirable characteristics in your husband that you see yeah okay that makes me say that vow is worth it right okay what i love about what you just said is Life is full of things like that. My mother died of cancer and did not have uh, medical insurance. So I looked after her. So I wiped my mother. I cleaned her body. As well. I had to do that. Uh, I wound up doing the same for my sister uh, because she also was ill and and passed away. And I did the same thing with her, with my brother-in-law. Okay. Life is filled with vomit, excrement, sweat, tears, all of these reality yeah. things that some people are like, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to think about it, I don't want to hear it. But that's what marriage requires of it's us, to endure. Better. Yes. But it's not all the darkness, too. It's lightness. And as Carly Simon says, if you're willing to play the game with poop, sweat, vomit, bad grades, 
It comes Arguments back around. It. it will come back around yes. again. The depth of my love grows every time I watch my husband make it through a tough thing, and he, when he watches me. And so that romantic ideal that I had, and I dare say 90% of our listeners had when they entered marriage, it doesn't go away. It gets, here's so funny. You have this romantic ideal that it's going to be sex all the time, you know, movies holding hands and just the tenderness never going away. But when you've made it through the garbage, even when you get a little bit of that, it magnifies it. So I would dare say those of us who made it through the crap are happier than those who never had anything to worry about. They always had the flowers. They always had the... So don't mind if I fall apart, there's more room in a broken heart. Okay, So much. how do you get to the point of it coming back around again? As Carly Stick said. it out. Okay. Don't quit when it gets tough. Unconditional love is absent in most of our marriages and most of our society. No conditions. But somebody might say, and I push you because you're my yeah. friend and I can do it. And somebody could, would say, I give yeah, you permission but to you, push. But yeah. you had conditional love because you said to Danny, if you mention that one more time, I'm walking. Okay. Now, did you really mean it at that point? Really? Yeah. Christine Bacon? <laughs> you know, you're right. Uh, I vowed I'd never leave. But there was something in me that said, I can't deal with this. And I did look at my husband later and say, I will never divorce you because I don't believe in divorce. Okay. But I won't live with you if you treat me like this. Ah, well, that's different. So you have this 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 um, period of time that you were willing to say, if need be, I'm going to yeah, pull away. Yeah, you should be working, and, and though. Yeah, working okay. to... So how does it come around again? I That's what I want to concentrate on. There are people listening this day who say, okay, you're advocating and, okay, Dr. Alan Campbell, I heard you say that life's full of sweat and, and, and undesirable body fluids and all kinds of bad circumstances. And I've heard Dr. Christine Bacon say that it's rough and you can get through it. But you know what? I would like some flowers and I would like some chocolate and I would like to take a cruise and I would like to go away and I would like to be able to choose my own living room set, thank you very much, without my dominating husband telling me what I can do. And I would like to be able to enjoy myself, yada, 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 yada. What do you say to those people? Because they're patiently waiting for us to have the answer. It's so hard to make a blanket statement. Okay, so if you're listening, please don't think that everything I say is going to 100% fit in the widget of your situation. Feel free to call me, contact me. We can talk about your specific situation. But if I gave you a blanket answer, Alan, it would be you go first. What do you mean by that? If you're the unhappy one, you go first. You want to fix something in your spouse, you fix something in you. But... He's 90% of the problem. I'm so, and I say, let's okay, work on so your 10%. Okay, so it's Michael Jackson. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. Exactly. I'm asking him to change his ways. Right, right. With all apologies to Michael Jackson fans. <laughs> <laughs> but terrible rendition. that actually works. Why does it work? You give them a, hair, a head-scratching opportunity where they look at you like, huh, why did he do that? I didn't fix, you know, they're kind of yeah, like, right. wow. And what I you're saying even, is true because I've actually witnessed that to... in other couples where, you know, they have people who have endured in their marriage. And I don't want to say endured, it sounds negative. No, but sometimes but, it feels like okay, enduring. But, but who have said, okay, I'm the one who's willing to make the sacrifice and the change. But I'm also sympathetic, and I know I'm pushing you really hard, Dr. Christine Bacon, but I'm also sympathetic to the people who are listening right now and are sp- banging the steering wheel of their car or they're they're banging down their coffee mug and saying, I am the one who has made the sacrifices. You're in and you're out and nothing is changing. I've been to counseling. What would you say? And I'm asking the impossible of you. I know that as a professional. Yeah, it's hard because I need to talk to each couple individually. But, you know, I've never met a couple yet where I've said, yeah, you should get divorced. I always dig until I find something because I say, well, if divorce isn't an option, what are you going to do? And they're like, well, I have to. And I, you know, I'll turn to the kids and I'm like, here's where I can invoke selflessness. Okay. You will feel happier if you leave your spouse. You will finally have, because I've known, and I was that way when I left my husband for a couple months after the affair, um, after we've reconciled, you feel kind of like, thank God that pressure's off of me. And you have a little moment of, whew, I'm free. But when you, when I tell my couples this, look at how good you feel. You feel free. You feel like, whoo, now I've escaped the pain. I want you to look, and in most cases, there are children involved, 
I want you to look at the children. Right. And if I say to you who's considering leaving your spouse, it will make you feel better for a time, maybe the whole time, but it will be wretched for your children, and they will never tell you. They might tell you in the beginning when it first happens, but they will never tell you 10 years later, 20 years later, because that is the one subgroup of culture that is voiceless. It's voiceless. People, when I talk to them about this, they shut up. Why? Because their spouse is formerly divorced. Their children are divorced. Their parents are divorced. Their person sitting next to them is divorced. So they'd be quiet because they don't want to say, you're darn right, Christine. It is painful. And I was angry at my parents for divorcing. And I felt it was selfish. And, you know, I have a book in front of me written by a dear friend of mine, Layla Miller. And the book is called Primal Loss, The Now Adult Children of Divorce Speak. And she had gone out asking, she didn't, she, it was an anonymous email she sent with simply eight questions and some of those questions and all she did this book is eight questions eight chapters chapter one was a question how do you feel about your parents divorce is all 72 or 100 and some anonymous answers to that question there's a question in there that says what would you say say to those people who say children should be resilient and you know stuff like that and some of the answers that you have in here are people saying I would say and I would say there are not enough vulgarities in the world to tell you how I feel about what those people say. I shouldn't have to be resilient. They say I feel my parents divorce and all divorce is just a bloodless form of sacrifice. And that's what the now adult children of divorce are saying. So if someone's listening to us in the car right now and I say fight for your children, we're wired to want to, how, how can I phrase this? We feel best when we've sacrificed something and we see an outcome. Do, do we not? Have you ever run a yes, marathon or something? Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, I'm even going for, you know, a, a you doctoral. You got your PhD. Yeah, it's, it it's, was... it's a major sacrifice that one does. Right. And so, but... So the sacrifice. Some people would say, "Were well, you just advocating being a martyr, though, just staying in a, in a in a horrible situation?" Well, I'm not advocating that, but I am saying there's fruit that is born from you joyfully sacrificing because the person on the other end. So let's say it sounds to me that you're advocating to love the unlovely. Yes, because. The good does come back to me. So it's not like you're going to live and die in this miserable marriage and never have joy. You want to change a bad marriage, change yourself first, sacrifice, and that person will see it. I have found in my marriage that when Christine and I have been upset with each other, the thing that will break the upsetness, even to the point of sometimes hysterically laughing, I mean, you, you may have had that experience with, with Danny, that you're upset with each other mm -hmm. and then somebody just says something and you both wind up laughing. In fact, you even get laughing at the fact that you're both upset about something. But like, you Don't you make me smile. It yeah, doesn't yeah, mean yeah. I'm not mad at you. I'm yeah. still mad at you. But you talked about Danny appreciating the fact that you bring coffee and the aroma of it in the morning and you did it this day. Christine has snapped me out of a bad mood or upset just by bringing me a Kit Kat or uh, uh, just a container of chocolate ice cream or something. Notice it's always chocolate. We had a guest on who was a divorce attorney. His name was James J. Sexton, and the program is available for people in our archives if they want to listen to it. And he wrote a book called um, If You're In My Office, It's Already Too Late. That was the hardback edition, but then he did a softback edition, which is just retitling, How to Stay in Love. And he said that ultimately people, because he sees, he deals with people going through divorces all the time. He said that ultimately the key thing was the willingness to, to do something sacrificial for the mm -hmm. other person. And I said to him at the close of the program, I said, I think love is, well, one of the things I've experienced with my wife is that I always will give her the last sip if we're sharing a coffee. And so Christine and I will walk along the beach and by gum, by gosh, by golly, I am not going to have that last sip of that coffee. And she knows it. I think it's also sometimes these little things of courtesy, even in the midst of being frustrated with each other, that is a healing salve that can make a marriage work. And sometimes I have known friends who have been on the verge of bitter uh, uh, enmity with each other, 
wanting to divorce. And they've told me that it was something seemingly insignificant that they did for the other that broke the heart of the other person in the most positive way. Uh, again, I go back to these lyrics, you know, um, there's more room in a broken heart. So don't mind if I fall apart, there's more room in a broken heart. I think we have to be willing to share our brokenheartedness about each other with each other sometimes, don't you? I do, but I'm actually listening to you. And I'm, if I'm driving, I'm listening to you talk about your marriage and me talk about my marriage because I know your marriage to be a super couple marriage. I've known you many years. Yes. So I would probably be that person in the car going, oh, I don't want to listen to two people having a good marriage because we do seem to be talking about things that are more coming from the lens of the happy person. No, but what I'm saying is is that I agree with you, okay? So, I mean, I don't want to be syrupy and yuck, okay, right. to, to the person going through a hard time. But I'm saying... Bitterness can build up. I mean, I, I've just—I was just talking to a student the other day. Uh, uh, you know, a grown man who's in still in the throes of a divorce and um, very, very bitter. And it's very, very hard to break through that bitterness that you hear in people. So hard. That they they won't listen to each other. Pride. And what have you. It's pride. You know, um, I have witnessed, as you said, where suddenly one of them is stricken with a disease and suddenly everything changes. Mm -hmm. uh, and like, oh my God, this person's not going to be in the world necessarily forever. And, and then we the, forget the, about those things. Yeah, that... and, and, and we forget. Um, I went on an experience, my wife and I, which I, I would share, called Marriage Encounter many, many decades oh, ago. Oh, I think we did and one year yeah, ago. And I think Christine and I were semi-insulted. We thought, we've only been married two years. We don't need to have a marriage encounter. Thank you. It was the title that put us off more than anything. But we went on it, and I don't want to divulge everything about it because it, it's it's a series of beautiful, so rich. It's yeah, rich, it's rich and beautiful rich. surprises. But one of the exercises was to write to the other one about if they were to die, and what what you would miss, and what you would want, and what you would love. And I I, I sometimes now I, I fully acknowledge that there are people listening to us say, "Well, I want him to die," as you right. have just declared right. earlier that you want him to die. But I, I think that I've witnessed in other people's lives when that has come into effect, that suddenly everything changes. It's like, oh, my God, where was I all these years? Isn't now that I've, funny? Now I've snapped back into reality. And nothing's changed but your perspective. Nothing's changed but the perspective. Mm -hmm. And um, it always will come down to can you live without this person? And not just superficially say, yes, I can, but really can you – you said to me – I mean, we seem to be con contradicting each other a lot today, not in Are a bad we? way. Well, contradicting our own premises. Oh, okay. Yeah, because you said, you said, well, you can live without Christine. And yes, I can, but I don't want to. I'll go back right, to that. Right, right. Um, and so when we wrote these, and I'd love to get them out because you write them in an exercise book, to look at these indications of how you can't live without somebody. Uh, that's the bottom line, man. We're, we're traveling through this world with a partner, hopefully a soul partner, we will part to death do us part. We don't concentrate on that. The marriage vows, just people just blithely say yeah. without realizing it. In sickness and in health, for better, for worse, with money, without money. Good times, Infidelity bad Infidelity or chaste. Infidelity or chaste. People don't want exactly. to say that. Yeah. And and so the, the, the key component, one of the key components is to death do us part. And there will be a parting. I mean, and also I know couples who have lost a spouse and they say, I'm still married. And I, I honor and, and get that. But, you know, d death is a, is a reality uh, screamer to us. But we most of the time don't want to think about that. And we should. And, and I think that that is a measure of what's really going on in a relationship. If that person is gone, I've seen divorced people go to the funeral of their spouse, of their ex-spouse, their right? ex-spouse, yeah. and you just look at their face, and, and you see you, regret, and you see regret, and you've just talked to them, and suddenly, they and I've heard many people say to me, without judgment, I've heard many people say to me, "I really didn't try hard enough. I thought I did, but I, I hear didn't. that so many days. Yeah, so many days. Yes." You know, the second letter in the formula for supercouples, S-A-C-R-E-D, sacred, is attentiveness. And I made it attentiveness because I needed another vowel in my acronym. It was really perception, you know, what mm -hmm. they were perceiving. And they did what you were just saying. And look, I can perceive you as a jerk. Or I can perceive you as a good man who's having a bad day. I can perceive you as one who's trying to be mean and you're just ugly and you're just evil and you're just nasty. 
or I can perceive you as one who's broken like I am and trying to get through this life as best as you can. And those thoughts, Alan, those thoughts alone can do a lot just to armor someone up and just, okay, I'm going to, one more day, one more month, one more. Look for the good. You know, that was something my mom used to say to me. You look for it, you'll see it. Look for the good and and you will see it. And Mm -hmm. and one of the things is just even to compile a list of things that you're you're grateful for. uh, Christine and I, again, and I realize I'm saying these things. He's talking about Christina's wife. My wife, yes. Listener, you may be saying, oh, this is so sickening. I want to just shut it off. I understand. Don't um, shut it off. Christine will often say to me when I'm in, in, a, in a bad mood, and she'll say, okay, name 10 things you're grateful for. And I don't want to do it sometimes because it's like, oh, God, here we go. Okay, I'm, I'm grateful I can breathe. I'm grateful I've got uh, cones in my eyes that can detect color, you know, and, and I go on through the list. And it really does change There's science things. behind that. But with Danny, you just spoke about you recognize that helping the wayward neighbor with the alcohol problem, uh, cleaning his mother, uh, these are the facets of the good. And if we fell in love with people in the beginning, we had to have recognized we can fall in good. Love again. Yes. You, yes. Had to, otherwise, we were nuts when we fell in love. And I don't believe we were. We focused we on the good when we first got married. Yes. And little by little, as their mistakes and their errors and their you know brokenness was revealed to us, when you get hurt, you're like, ow, let me put a Band-Aid on that. If my arm is perfectly fine, but I get cut, you know, I'm going to focus on that one small cut until it's healed. Well, in a marriage, when you're figuring each other out, you're stepping on each other's feet frequently. You're hurting each other with a word, with an omission, with something. So we start focusing on those hurts and we don't pay attention to all the goods. So happy couples focus on what they're doing well. Unhappy couples really start focusing on what the couple's doing poorly. And there's actually science behind what you said. Writing a great uh, gratitude list actually changes your endorphins. It brings you up into a happier mood. It lets you realize what you do have. What do I have with Danny that I would lose if I didn't? And one of the things that helped me come back to him is I didn't want a broken family. I didn't want a a second spouse. I didn't want Christmases with three or four different families. I didn't want my kids to have some other woman in Danny's bed, even though I didn't really want him. Mm -hmm. I didn't want another woman in bed with Mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. And so when I started looking big picture, if you're considering divorce right now and and you're listening to us and you say we're still full of a bunch of crap right now, I want you to think about your little girl And right now, if your little girl gets scared or even your son and lightning happens and and she runs and crawls into bed with you and your wife that you just don't even like or your husband that you're thinking of divorce with right now, even though your spouse doesn't have any idea these thoughts are going through your head. And I want to think about this new and happy life that you're envisioning for yourself. If I just get rid of my husband, start all over. And then I want you to picture five years from now, your your daughter's in her little nightie and a thunderstorm comes and you're in bed with this new man that you are happy with, but who is a wholly and completely different stranger. I don't care how long you've introduced him to the family. Your daughter cannot just crawl in bed with you and this strange man. It's a simple analogy, but it's never the same. It's just never the same for that child. Now I'm going to jump to something that is occurring in my mind, a connectedness that we have not spelled out and addressed, but really we've referenced it. One of the key components of many different types of religions in different ways is the concept of forgiveness. Mm. You forgive not because people are worthy of forgiveness, you forgive because of just the decision to forgive. Yeah. 70 times 7. Forgiveness is okay. a gift you give yourself. Right. But then there's also sometimes a need to confront. And people confuse that. So you can forgive, but you also have to address. Yeah. All right? You addressed Danny about what was hurting you. But in the process, I hear constant from you forgiveness towards Danny. I have to. And forgiveness towards yourself. So would you say that one of the integral parts of a successful marriage that may lead to a super marriage. And some people would say, I'd just like to have a content one. Thank you very much. That's what I always used to say. I just want to be happy. Okay. Our two cardinal aspects of it, forgiveness, but are willing to address. And you can address and still forgive. Yes. Because I realize now that that's a component of my marriage with Christine. We address things, but we also forgive. If we remember who we're talking to, it sometimes makes it easier to forgive. When we think about forgiving our spouse, we get this distaste in our mouth like, 
I'm not going to forgive him or her. I'm not going to talk nice to him or her. The easiest person for me to take that person's head off and put your grandmother's head on there. How would you treat freaky. your grandma? Well, okay. You're, you're, you're getting, you know what I'm saying? In yeah, terms I understand. Of, this, the image is getting Grandma seems to be the freaky. person who you never... Okay, don't twist my words, Dr. Campbell. No, I'm sorry. But I'm just saying. But grandma... There's a special relationship. I don't use parents because we don't all have good relationships with our parents. But grandma seems to hold this elevated role in most of our minds. Mm -hmm. And if I say, would you speak to your grandmother the way you just spoke to your spouse? Okay, well, you just pushed the ante there. And I have to up the game here if we're going to get very, very abstract, shall we? Okay, now, it is my premise that when you look at another person and you are somewhat irritated and you find them disdainful one way or another. You look at them and you think not about their physical features, but you think about the spirit. And I'm being serious now. You think yeah. about the spirit inside them. Um, there is this uh, concept that people are made in the image of God. And when I think about that, that changes even how I look at you and Paul, my producer, and everyone else in this building and the person on the street I encounter and my students. I try and I fail but I try to appreciate this animated spirit inside them, and I try to see it as the image of God. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, is uh, my grandma's head, I guess you yeah. would say, on, on the person. And I see that flicker in Christine, and that awakens me to like, okay, we need to address anything she's upset with, anything I'm upset with, but then we forgive. Um, I want to thank you uh, for being my friend and Christine's friend. I want to thank you for being the friend of so many couples. I want to thank you for being a friend to our audience of Watching America. Uh, Not everyone may agree with you, but this is one thing that is indisputable. Everything you say, you have said out of genuine concern and love. May I get one more plug-in? Yeah, sure, please. I hold standers meetings. Standers are those people who are standing for reconciliation while their spouses are in the process of divorce or have already been divorced. And they're standing for reconciliations. And if you find yourself saying, I would like to be married, I was abandoned by my spouse, you give me a call, 757-343-0368. Again, that's 757-343-0368. I'll work with you on standing, marriage coaching, or you can go to my website, breakfastwithbacon.com, because you probably forgot that phone number. And I just must ask you on the part of Carly Simon, is there more room in a broken heart? Always. been listening to Watching America. Our theme music is provided by Razorlight. Our recording engineer is Todd Washburn. Our producer, Paul Bebo. Our senior producer is Gina Gamboni. Executive producer, Chuck Dowd. Chief of content, Heather Mazzoni. And CEO, Bert Schmidt. I'm Watching America's creator and host, Dr. Alan Campbell. And I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for your kind and considerate contributions that make this show possible. Until next time, take care and blessings. Watching America is a production of WHRV Public Media in Norfolk, Virginia.